Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Jen the Libertarian podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page, where you do get early access to content and exclusive content. I will put the link down in the show notes. This past week brought us, because political horseshoe theory is real, the rise of something that we should have all seen coming, but I don't think anybody really did see coming. And that is the rise of the MAGA NIMBY. Now, if you don't know what a NIMBY is, let me back up and explain. NIMBY is actually an acronym for Not In My Backyard. And this originally originated to be something of a derogatory term towards what used to just be people in the Bay Area who paid lip service to affordable housing but every time the topic came up in their particular neighborhood, there was always some kind of reason why you couldn't build it right here. Whether we got to preserve the neighborhood or the the building is going to be too tall and it's going to cast a shadow on the sidewalk at sunset. I'm not making that up. That was an actual story. There was a proposal for a three-story apartment complex and NIMBY opposed it in San Francisco because it would create a shadow on the sidewalk. In case you haven't noticed, San Francisco has a little bit of a housing problem. It's incredibly expensive to live there because supply is incredibly finite. But it's always it's always something. There's always some reason that Oh, well, we want the affordable housing, but not right here, not in our backyard. So that's how the term NIMBY came about. And the opposite of a NIMBY is a YIMBY, which is, yes, in my backyard. And that refers to people who, in general, support deregulating building requirements, zoning, anything that could possibly help to expand the amount of housing available in areas that are currently having a housing crunch or do have excessively high housing costs to try to bring down the cost of housing. So with that in mind, here's what ended up happening. Luke Rosiak wrote a piece for The Daily Caller, which kicked off a Twitter thread, which kicked off a whole round of making fun of Luke for this piece because it's, as with anything in the Daily Caller, I would assume, I tried to look at that site. Now it's just like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Do people read this? It takes something that isn't on its face very sinister or really, or at least shouldn't be very controversial at all, and spins it up into this whole thing that Democrats are trying to destroy your way of life. And that is the proposal that the Virginia state legislature is debating the idea of basically overriding local zoning laws to make it to where you could, on suburban lots, build multifamily housing. So I want to go ahead and actually read you the piece because this is, this is nuts. Like I just, if this is where the conservative movement is right now, like I don't I don't even know. I don't understand these people anymore. So anyway, here's the headline. Democrats seek to outlaw suburban single family house zoning, calling it racist and bad for the environment. Okay, bear that in mind. And now we're gonna 
we're, we're going to get into the piece and I'm going to point out exactly what the proposal is and why this is just pure nimbyism. It's hilarious. Anyway, Democrats in Virginia may override local zoning to bring high density housing, including public housing, to every neighborhood statewide, whether residents want it or not. The measure could quickly transform the suburban lifestyle enjoyed by millions, permitting duplexes to be built on suburban lots in neighborhoods previously consisting of quiet streets and open green spaces. Proponents of upzoning say the changes are necessary because suburbs are bastions of segregation and elitism, as well as bad for the environment. Now, let's back up for a second. What Virginia's state legislature is proposing is saying that Instead of as it stands right now, where there are zoning laws that say you cannot build duplexes. And by the way, we're talking about duplexes here, people. Duplexes. We're not talking about 10-story apartment complexes. We're not talking about Section 8 housing. We're not talking about the, the government coming in and building government housing. We're talking fucking duplexes. They are getting twerked over the idea that the Virginia state legislature wants to let people who buy lots in suburban areas to build duplexes. Not saying that they have to build duplexes. Not saying that everybody in those neighborhoods has to tear down their houses and build duplexes. Not even saying that anybody is going to build duplexes in these areas. Just that they can. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I I thought conservatives were for private property rights and for people being allowed to build what they wish on their property. I guess that only extends up until the point where somebody might do something that they might find slightly inconvenient or maybe not entirely to their aesthetic preferences. Then I guess those rights go out the window, I suppose. And, And just going on in the paragraph about, oh no, They're going to just tear apart all the quiet streets and the open green spaces. Okay. When a developer buys a piece of land and they break it up into lots, the lots are whatever size they are. Like just because you can all of a sudden build a duplex on a lot that was originally a lot that you can only build a single family house on, it didn't change the size of the lot. It didn't change the layout of the development. So if the open green leafy what the fuck ever spaces were built into the plan, then they're still going to be there. Like, what? I don't... Again, it's this weird fear-mongering thing. And this is like fear-mongering over the dumbest thing. There's so many other things in Virginia people could be worried about right now. But no, we got to worry about duplexes ruining the suburbs. My suburbs and my green leafies. It's like, what are you talking about? And as far as this being upzoning, no. This ain't even touching upzoning. If this was upzoning, this would be saying that, you know what? Somebody could buy 16 suburban lots and build a big ass apartment complex on it. That's upzoning. This is saying that you can take what was originally zoned for a single family house and make it a two family house. That's it. You're not changing the size of the lot. You're not changing the makeup of the actual, the, the, the development that the planners laid out when they sold the lots, you're just, you're just making it to where one more family per lot can live on the lot. 
is it really that big a deal? I I don't think so, but apparently it's this is just something that is I don't I don't know, the road to socialism, I guess. I don't I don't understand. I I really don't. But anyway, moving back to the piece. The move which aims to provide affordable housing, and by the way, affordable housing is in quotes here. The move to provide affordable housing might be fiercely opposed by local officials throughout the state who have deliberately created and preserved neighborhoods with particular character, some dense and walkable, others semi-rural and private, to accommodate people's various preferences. Um, why exactly is that the role of government to decide what gets built in what neighborhood exactly? I mean, if developers wish to build whatever it is they wish to build, and yes, some places like more densible, walkable places, some people like living out in BFE, I, I don't think you really need government to do that. I mean, the private market can handle that all by itself. I mean, developers can figure out like what would be best for them to build on any particular plot of land that is going to net them the most money based on what exactly the needs and demands are for that particular plot of land in that particular spot. You don't need the government to tell you what to build where. I, I, in fact, a lot of the problem with housing are these sorts of restrictive zoning laws that keep developers from building the, the sorts of housing that would be best suited to any particular area. Like there's, there's zoning laws that say that you can't build dense housing in certain places where it would probably be beneficial to the people who live in those places to be able to have high-density housing. So just so much of what is going wrong with housing in the places where it's going wrong is due to government regulation. So yes, if the government would like to take a step back for once and say, hey, you know what? We'll let you do this one thing with your plot of land that you bought and theoretically you own. This is what you're going to get torqued about? <laughs> I, I thought, I mean, I've said plenty about the conservative movement lately, but honestly, there is so, 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 so little daylight between what passes for conservatism now and what passes for progressivism now that's like, can you guys just get a room and just figure out that you are one and the same and just get along? Like, yeah, I don't know, bone this out. I Whatever you guys got to do, because you're there, there's no difference anymore. There's really no difference. If you are invoking the state to try to engineer your particular outcome, whatever it is that you are trying to achieve, if you're trying to do it through the state, in my eyes, you're no different than anybody else that's trying to do the same thing. So that's what this is. You want the state to say, well, you have to build certain things on these plots of land because this is what I like and what I find aesthetically pleasing. Well, you know what? Screw you. People need housing. It's a basic human necessity. You need to have shelter. So, yeah, the government taking a step back would be very nice. And in fact, if they wanted to take three or more steps back, I would greatly support that so that finally we can have some decent affordable housing for everybody. This shit's getting expensive out here, people. But back to the piece. But Democrats tout a state level's law ability to replace not in my backyard with yes, in your backyard. There's that nimby yimby thing again. House Delegate Abraham Samrine, a Democrat, introduced six housing measures December 19th 
coinciding with Democrats' takeover of the state legislature in November. Single-family housing zones would become two-zoned, Semmerweis told the Daily Caller News Foundation. Areas that would be impacted most would be the suburbs that have not done their part in helping out. Now, here comes the part that I don't agree with, especially when people start criticizing NIMBYs. A lot of people try to make this a race issue, and I think it is less of a race issue than it is a class issue. And yes, racism is a subset of classism, but it's not like NIMBYs would be super duper stoked if poor white people, or at least not even poor white people, but people with less money than them, all of a sudden can move in next door. That's why I say this is a classism thing. It's not strictly a race thing. So I think trying to parse it in the terms of race is not really addressing the root problem here. And that is that certain people just don't want to live next to certain people who are in a different socioeconomic category. I mean, make of that what you will, but I don't think that that is the government's place to mandate that nobody can do that, that it somehow should be codified by law, that that segregation has to happen. That's my problem with this. So back to the piece. The real issues are the areas in in between very dense areas, which are single family zoned. Those are the areas that the state is having significant trouble dealing with. They're living in a bubble, he said. He said suburbs were mostly white and wealthy and that their local officials, who have historically been in charge of zoning, were ignoring the desires of poor people who did not have the time to lobby them to increase suburban density. Okay, let's be really, really real about suburbs here for a second and how suburbs came to be. It was kind of after World War II when you really started seeing suburbs as we know them today exist. So all these people come back from war, everybody's happy, everything's good, people have money. And so there was this housing boom. And obviously there's only so much room you can build in the city. And then so people started, you started getting the sprawl. You started getting the suburban sprawl. So what ended up happening after that is... The suburbs, because they were single-family houses, tended to be more expensive than living in the city where you typically have more high-density housing. So the secondary thing that kind of happened is that all of a sudden you started having higher concentrations of non-white people in cities. And so you got white flight. You had wealthy white people leaving the city for the suburbs. So not acknowledging that Not to say that suburbs are racist and that everybody in them is racist, but that's how this kind of lopsided demographic thing kind of came to happen. And to ignore that that happened is a little ridiculous because it's what happened. And it's why demographically a lot of cities are the way they are right now. But yeah, I mean, it it was kind of kind of racist in a way. And and pointing out that poor people don't have time to go to these meetings is another factor because obviously the people who have the time to attend local meetings of their city council or town council or whatever sort of formulation they have for the municipality that they live in are the kind of people who have the time to attend these meetings mainly people who have more money than the more lower class people who 
due to having responsibilities, can't attend these meetings. So their voices don't get heard. So much like you get with the NIMBYs over in the Bay Area, you get it disproportionately represented by people who are more wealthy and have their own motivations for not wanting high-density housing in their particular area. And the other voices don't get heard because they just, they there's no way for them to. Like, you just, I mean, if there's a meeting at three o'clock in the afternoon and you work till five, like, well, how the hell are you supposed to go to the meeting, you know? So I- ignoring those two things, I think, or at least downgrading them, isn't a super good way to try to make an argument. And a lot of that gets glossed over in the discussion on housing is that, yes, certain people have more amplified voices because they just they have the time to do it and other people don't. And that's something that does need to be addressed. So moving back to the piece, in response to a question about whether people who bought homes in spacious suburbs have valid reasons not based on discrimination for preferring to live that way, including a love for nature and a desire to preserve woods and streams, he said, caring about nature is very important, but the more dense a neighborhood is, the more energy efficient it is. To address the second part of that paragraph first, yes, the more dense a neighborhood is, the more energy efficient it is. I mean, that's just, yeah. I mean, when you can put more people in one space, then you're taking up less space and therefore you are probably using less energy. Not to mention once you get more densely packed spaces, you start getting more options as far as transportation is concerned. You get more walkability, more mass transit. You reduce your reliance on being in a vehicle. There's lots of reasons why people support these sorts of high density housing, not just, oh, we want to destroy the fabric of society or we want to force integration or we want to force everybody to live in little boxes. Like, no, there's valid reasons to support this. And then going back to the beginning of the paragraph, I am so old that I remember, obviously not the first wave of suburbs, but probably like the third or fourth wave back in like the 90s. When people started screaming that this urban sprawl, that these suburbs that just kept going out and out and out and out from these cities were actually going to destroy nature, that the argument against them was that you you keep tearing down these, these forests, these tree stands, you fill in these swamps, you do this, that, or the other to build these suburbs, you're destroying the natural landscape that's already there. So... I'm fascinated in how did we get from suburbs destroying nature to suburbs preserving nature? (laughs) I mean, when you see like what has to happen to a plot of land for it to be developed into a suburban tract of land, it's not very environmentally friendly. Like you got to clear out everything that's there. You got to level it. You got to fill stuff in. If there's wetlands, you got to figure out a way to deal with that. It's not exactly preserving nature to bulldoze things and build a bunch of houses on top of them. In fact, you could probably preserve nature more so if you took one of those developments, just built like in the center of it, like just high density housing, like say a 10 story apartment complex, and then you had parking around it and then used all the rest of that land for nature preservation. You could probably preserve a lot more nature that way than you could tearing down massive, massive swaths of land to build houses on. 
Like, I remember that argument. It wasn't that long ago. And in fact, there are still environmentalists that make that argument today that suburbs do destroy nature. And it's it's a valid argument. But it's just so funny to see somebody make the argument that suburbs preserve nature. <laughs> like, wait, what? No, they don't. Anyway, moving on. He said that if local officials seek to change requirements like setbacks to make it impossible to build dense housing in areas zoned to preserve a natural feel, if they make setbacks to block duplexes, there'll have to be a lawsuit to resolve whether those zoning provisions were necessary. Now, just to explain real quick, a setback, when you're talking about building, is an area of land between the road and where you're allowed to start building a building. So basically, setbacks are what give you front lawns and rear lawns, if you have a rear lawn, and side lawns and all that. Basically, what they're saying is they're they're already anticipating a way that somebody could backdoor opposition to this by setting up setbacks that would make it impossible to build anything but a single family house on a particular plot of land. And setbacks in and of themselves are kind of messed up because it's saying that okay, you have this plot of land, but from here to here and from there to there, you can't build on it. Which again, if it's your plot of land, you should be able to build whatever you want on it, wherever you want on it. And the the only time I really understand setbacks, and I'll use my childhood home as an example. I grew up in South Florida. You had setbacks from the road and it was probably a good... I'd say probably 15, 20 feet. But the idea was that gave you enough room as a developer making a development that basically you built the houses on like this little tiny hill. Like you couldn't really tell it from the road, but it was a good like five foot slope up a hill to from where the road is to where the house was. And basically that was done because of hurricanes and to ensure that if there was flooding, and I lived just outside like the five-mile mandatory evacuation zone, so that's how close I lived to the ocean. The idea was that if there was any kind of coastal flooding, or if there was any kind of flooding from a hurricane, that your house not being on street level gave you a little bit more protection so that your house didn't get flooded. So sometimes setbacks make sense, but setbacks for the sake of just making sure okay, we have front lawns. Like, what if you don't want a front lawn? Like, I don't want a front lawn. I I don't want to mow a lawn. I don't even know how to mow a lawn. <laughs> like, but I, I just, again, it's another one of those sort of government regulations that dictate what you can and cannot build on your own land for the sake of someone else's aesthetic preference, which again, is something that the government does not need to be interfering in. It, it shouldn't, it's no. If a developer wants to develop a plot of land that way or wants to develop a subdivision that way and they want to build it as such that every house has a lawn, they can do that. But there shouldn't be any reason that you, legally speaking, have to do that. So, again, it's this idea that you want the government to enforce this rule that they really have no business enforcing because of your own preferences. And no, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Anyway, moving back to the piece. He wrote on Facebook, 
Because middle housing is what's most affordable for low-income people and people of color, banning that housing in well-off neighborhoods chalks up to modern-day redlining, locking folks out of areas with better access to schools, jobs, transit, and other services and amenities. I mean, where's the lie? And this is another thing. like Housing is such a, a kind of thorny, tangled topic to try to address because every place is different and every situation is different. And I talked about this when I talked about Elizabeth Warren giving her kind of proposal for federal housing laws. It's like, you just, you can't do that. Like there's no blanket laws that you can do to do that. But this idea that it it does, once you start dictating who can and cannot live in a certain neighborhood in this sort of soft way and comparing it to modern day redlining, redlining is an incredibly touchy topic. I don't know if I would have rung that particular bell, but I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, certain neighborhoods have access to certain things and certain neighborhoods don't. And I would think that if you do genuinely care about middle-income people or lower-middle-income people or even just people who may be doing all right, but they're not, like, super-duper wealthy, like, as both Republicans and Democrats claim to care about, then wouldn't you want to try to peel back regulations that keep housing out of these people's hands? Like, people need a place to live. So let's get them places to live, you know? <laughs> like, it just seems so basic to me. And and the idea that if you could get people to kind of better places and out of less great places, maybe everybody would be a little better off. I mean, I just, it's, it, it just seems kind of intuitive to me, but obviously it's not to everybody. So back to the piece. I will certainly get pushback for this. Some will call it state overreach. Some will express anxiety about neighborhood change. Some may even say that the supply issue doesn't exist, but the research is clear. Zoning is a barrier to more housing and integrated communities, he continued. Now, I don't necessarily think that housing needs to be integrated in any sort of particular government-assigned way. I'm not a fan of quotas, obviously. But yeah, zoning is a barrier to more housing. That is a verified fact. Like, you, you can't really argue that. And that's why I advocate for less zoning restrictions so that we can build more housing. So that people can be able to live in decent housing that doesn't cost them half of what they make in a month or two-thirds of what they make in a month. I mean, this is a problem that a lot of people face. And it's a serious problem. So, yeah, can we start maybe addressing that? And And this is where... This is where NIMBYs always seem to fall flat, is that you pay lip service to the idea, like I said, but you don't ever want to do anything about it. So really, do you care? Like, Do y'all genuinely give a shit because you genuinely don't seem to want to do anything about it? So moving on, I guess we're almost done here. He tweeted Sunday that would, that, that would include public housing. Important cue about new social slash public housing programs. Where are we going to put the units? 
Under current zoning, new low-income housing is regulated to underinvested neighborhoods concentrating poverty more. Ending exclusionary zoning has to be part of broader housing reform. Okay. Now Luke is trying to conflate two different things in one article. There's nothing here saying that public housing is going to be built on these suburban lots. And in fact, if all this is doing is opening up from single family to duplexes, it's not going to be. I mean, it's just that's I that's that doesn't even make any sense to bring up the two things together. What this is saying is that under current zoning laws, that the only places you can build public housing are in these neighborhoods that are already poor. So we need to start easing up on those exclusionary zoning laws so that public housing can be built places that aren't already distressed so that people can live someplace that isn't already a distressed neighborhood. That seems kind of basic, does it not? Like if, if you can't, and this is a problem that a lot of people, I think when they look at public housing, and obviously I'm not a fan of public housing, but when people look at where it was built and how it was built, they look at what the government did, but you don't look at why. And a lot of the reasons why are zoning laws. Like if you can only build public housing in X spots, then that's where you're going to build it. And if X spot is a spot that already has issues, then it's, I mean, it's not going to help. And this is why a lot of public housing has been kind of done away with in the United States is because, I mean, it was a, a failed idea, but it the failures, I don't think, have been completely unpacked in a way that would help to explain why things failed. And a lot of the reasons why these sorts of projects failed is because of restrictive zoning and because you couldn't build these houses or this housing anywhere other than where it was built. And that's something to think about, too. I mean, obviously, as libertarians, we are always concerned about the government telling you what you can and cannot do with your stuff and telling you where and where you cannot do this or that, or you can do it over here, but you can't do it over there. Housing is one of the biggest areas where that is a problem. And it's not just a problem for individuals. It's a problem for government. Like, it's, it's something that, I mean, and there's a lot of people that do a lot of work in this area. And I feel like it's a conversation that should be had more going forward. I feel like just more broadly, just discussing how the government screws with you and tells you what you can and cannot do with your own stuff that you theoretically own. So moving on. Tim Hannigan, chairman of the Fairfax County Republican Committee in one of the areas Samara represents, says that urban Democrats were waging war on the suburbs. This could completely change the character of suburban residential life because of the urbanization that would develop, he told the DCNF. So much of the American dream is built on this idea of finding a nice, quiet place to raise your family, and that is under assault. This is a power grab to take away the ability of local communities to establish their own zoning practices, literally trying to change the character of our communities, he said. Now, let's go back to what this would actually do if the Virginia State Legislature is able to pull this off. This would make it to where 
somebody could build a duplex on a suburban lot. Not that they would. Not that there's a certain amount of suburban area that has to be developed as duplexes. Just saying that you can. And there's lots of reasons why developers would want to do that. There's lots of reasons why developers would not want to do that. One of the reasons is catering to this crowd right here. Like if a developer realizes that they can make more money building McMansions, then they're going to build McMansions. If a developer realizes that, hey, if I take this plot of land that I bought and I chop it up and I make a subdivision and I make it full of duplexes and I'll make money, then they'll do that. I mean, it's, it's this is so much ado about nothing because it's almost like you're trying to portray this as something that everybody's going to be forced to do from here on out. And it's like, no, nobody's forcing anything. Nobody's forcing them to build duplexes where single family homes would have been built. It's just saying that you can. And there's plenty of market forces that could go either way on that. And for what it's worth, if somebody developing a subdivision in Virginia decided, hey, I'm just going to build a sub, like a whole subdivision of duplexes. Okay, cool. I mean, what, what business is that of anybody else's? That should be the developer's business. Like they bought the land. You should get to build on it what you want. And if you wanted to make a whole little subdivision of duplexes, then go for it. Like I just, it's, it's panicking over nothing, nothing. And as, as far as taking away the ability of local communities to establish their own zoning practices, I think I've already made it pretty clear what I feel about zoning. This shouldn't be a thing. The government should not be telling people what they can and cannot do with their own land on any level, be it federal, state, or local. Like, just get out of the way. Let people do what they're going to do. It's it, stop. Stop trying to use the state to enforce your preferences. No, 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 no. Moving on. He said suburbs were not equipped to handle the increased traffic and inevitably it will just push people to places where they feel like they'll get away from that. They may move to West Virginia to get their little plot of land. Okay, cool. Move. I mean, that's everybody's free to do that. And as far as the increased traffic, I've seen this argument made. And here's my thing. If, if, and mind you, most of these sort of larger single family homes have more than one vehicle attached to them. A lot of them have three and four vehicles attached to them. So how much traffic this is going to increase, I don't know. I'm not entirely sold on that particular sort of argument there because I mean even if you had a duplex and this side had two cars that side had two cars okay as long as there's parking then what's the big deal like I don't I'm not I'm not entirely buying this this traffic argument and the second part that I would answer to that is if you are somebody who does favor mass transportation and you want mass transportation to go to certain places to serve people you have to have the people there to serve. Like you can't ask whether you want this done on the, the public side or the private side. You cannot ask somebody to build out a mass transportation system without there being people there waiting to use the mass transportation. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't expect them to build a train to nowhere or a bus route to nowhere 
So you you got to kind of have the people there for the mass transportation to go there. So, yes, there is a transition period there. But, I mean, that's that would be what would have to happen. Like, I don't really see that happening any other way. So, and, and if people don't like that, and if they don't want to live there, then they can live somewhere else. And that's perfectly fine. Everybody can live where they want to live. That's the beauty of America. So, moving on. Minneapolis became the first city to eliminate single-family zoning in December 2018 after a push by progressive advocacy groups promoting equality. Austin, Texas, and Seattle soon followed suit. But those cities were amending zoning codes that have always, always been the domain of local governments. Oregon passed state legislation blocking local governments' single-family zoning in July, City Lab reported. It quoted Alex Baca, a Washington, D.C. urbanist with the site Greater Greater Washington, saying that single-family zoning is a tool for wealthy whites to maintain segregated neighborhoods and that the abolition of low-density neighborhoods is necessity for equality. Again, I don't buy that argument either. I don't think this really needs to be an argument that's parsed in those terms. I just like we there's places that need more housing and they can't build more housing for various sorts of reasons. We need to eliminate those reasons so that people can build more housing. It doesn't need to be a racism thing. It doesn't need to be an equality thing. It doesn't need to be an integration thing. It can just be a basic economic thing that we need more of this. So let's make it to where more of this can be built. That's it. You don't need to invoke anything else. That's all. Moving on. City Lab acknowledges that residents may reasonably desire to keep the neighborhoods that they love the way they are, but said that implementing the law at the state level makes sure that those concerns can be more easily ignored. By preempting the ability of local governments to set their own restrictive zoning policies, the state policy would circumnavigate the complaints of local NIMBY homeowners who want to block denser housing. Yes, it would. (laughs) Yes, it would keep governments from enacting more strict zoning laws, which I would think would be a selling point for this, for conservatives who were allegedly, at one point, small government people. Allegedly, at one point, they said they were. I mean, I, I am, I'm beginning to think that was all full of shit, obviously, but um, the fact that conservatives are complaining about this is wild to me. Like, yes, Let's make it to where the government cannot replace more restrictive zoning laws on building. I, I, I guess libertarians are the only people that actually believed in this, which is disheartening. But let's keep going. While he implied that suburbs are prejudiced, Samurai himself has a history of anti-Semitic comments, including saying sending money to Israel is worth, worse than funding the Ku Klux Klan. Because, obviously, if you can't knock the message, just knock the messenger. Like, what the fuck does this have to do with housing policy? (laughs) I don't care. Who gives a shit? (laughs) H-I... Oh, my God. Anyway, I am so sorry that my ill-chosen words added to the pain of the Jewish community, and I seek your understanding and compassion as I prove to you our common humanity, he said in February. He interrupted a speech in July by President Donald Trump in Jamestown and said, you can't send us back. Virginia is our home. 
His father is Jordanian refugee Sabri Samrine, who authorities banned from the U.S. for a decade after the September 11, 2001 attacks, in part because his membership in the Muslim Brotherhood, the Chicago Tribute reported in 2014. A funny thing about conservatives is they kind of have this huge blind spot for certain things related to Israel and related to Islam. And this is just kind of the the mashup of both of those things. Like, oh, oh, so now we have to point out that dude's anti-Israel and his dad was part of the Muslim Brotherhood. As if that has any damn thing to do with anything that the rest of this article was talking about. It, it annoys me because it just, if you can't engage with something on the merits of the topic, Character assassination is like, okay, you just lost the argument because you've got nothing else to offer. So anyway, that concludes that piece. I wanted to share it with you guys because I just, it it made me laugh, honestly, (laughs) that apparently like, okay, conservatives are no longer for private property rights, apparently, if they don't coincide with the things that they seem to like. (laughs) Oh, and just how... It's there's no difference anymore. There's no difference between the right and the left. You're all a bunch of authoritarian status fuck whistles, and you want to use the state to tell people what they can and cannot do with their own stuff. And that's where we're at. So I just and this is why I say that I don't understand the concept of trying to infiltrate the conservative movement or the GOP or however you want to phrase that to try to make it more libertarian. We tried that once, guys. It failed. They don't like us anymore. And they completely reject our ideas. So, no. Just leave them be. See them for what they are and just leave them be. And that's it. Let's take care of our own. I don't think these people are savable at this point. (laughs) Because everything is about owning the libs. Like, okay, we just jettisoned private property rights to own the libs is what just happened. (laughs) There's no principles here. There's no bedrock principles in conservatism anymore. And I feel like that's a topic I'm going to come back to a lot in the upcoming year. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.